Recovery Elevator, episode 234. Like crying because I didn't want to drink, drinking because I was all I knew. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Tiffany. She's 35 years old from Westminster, Maryland, and she's been alcohol-free since July 15th, 2018. In her interview, she talks about a time where she knew she didn't want to drink, but that's all she knew. It's a fantastic interview. Tiffany knocks it out of the park. You guys are going to love it. The Recovery Elevator Retreat, which takes place in beautiful Bozeman, Montana, my hometown, is just two days away. And guys, I am nervous, I am excited, I am pumped, I am all the emotions, but overall, I cannot wait to meet you in person. It's going to be a blast. Support for today's episode is brought to you by Honey. You ever buy something online only to find out later you missed a discount? I don't overspend anymore, thanks to Honey. Honey is a free browser add-on that finds me the best deals online. The app magically auto-applies the best deal to my cart at checkout. Honey finds discounts and coupons across 37,000 sites. Amazon, Sephora, Best Buy, Nordstrom's, and more. With Honey, I don't worry about missing a deal. I just shop like normal. Honey handles the rest. Honey has saved its 10 million members an average of $28.61. Honey members have already saved more than $800 million. Not bad for something that's completely free and takes just two clicks to install. Time Magazine calls Honey basically free money. Look, there's really no reason not to use Honey. It's free to use and easy to install on your computer in just two clicks. So shop with confidence. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com forward slash elevator. That's joinhoney.com forward slash elevator. Honey the smart shopping assistant that saves you time and money when you're shopping online. Okay, let's get started. Let me tell you about the DUIs I didn't get. And for those of you who are listening in from overseas, a different country or a different state that doesn't use that terminology, it means driving under the influence. That's a DUI. Um, That's the term we use where the states where I grew up in. Um, which means you have a blood alcohol content level, a BAC, of higher than 0.08 when you blow into a breathalyzer. Now, in this country, unlike España or Spain where they do things bass-ackwards, but here, you most likely lose your license, you got to spend the night in jail. First infraction, anywhere from $5,000 to $10,000. I know in Montana, if you get four of them, there's a mandatory prison sentence. So this is a serious deal. I don't want to make light of that at all, drinking and driving. Do not condone that at all. But if you're getting sober, if you're going on this journey, it's something that you may have done. Um, And at the same time, I'm going to say it's nothing to be ashamed about, right? It's not right, but it's, it's just what it is. Okay, so let me tell you about the DUIs I didn't get. First one, December 2018. I'm driving to Seattle to spend Christmas with my family. I get pulled over in Idaho. The officer walks up and says... Sir, I pulled you over because you were speeding. Have you been drinking tonight? I'm like, yes, no, sir. And uh, I did get a ticket, (laughs) but I didn't get a DUI. Okay, next one. In June of 2016, I'm driving home late at night, and I hit a deer with my car. I know, unfortunate, the deer did not survive. Okay, the police officer showed up, said, are you okay? Have you been drinking? I said yes to the first one. Hell no to the second one. Um, Officer helped me fill out the paperwork. No DUI received. Reason why? Well, I was in sobriety at the time. Um, Number three. This took place in February of 2015. I rolled my Toyota Tacoma truck at about 1230 in the morning um, after DJing at the Marlboro Ranch. I know, of all places, Um, guy doing an addiction podcast, DJing at uh, the Marlboro Ranch. I know, sounds weird too. Uh, But it was a snowy dirt road, and I went over a barrel turn going about 15 miles an hour, and the car actually rolled. Whoopsie-daisy, and now I'm upside down. Anyways, the cops show up, say, are you okay? Yes. Have you been drinking? No. Quick side note, um, if you've ever been pulled over for a DUI or had a close call where you have been drinking, that shit is terrifying. 
So in sobriety, it's almost welcome to get pulled over. The cop walks up to the car and you're like, just ask it, man. Please just ask the question. In fact, I got pulled over once and the cop didn't ask the question. The question is, have you been drinking? And I just straight up said, uh, sir, I just want to let you know I haven't been drinking. And he's like, cool. Um, you shouldn't be drinking, but thanks for letting me know. So as Jay-Z would say, on to the next one. Now let's back it up a little bit to June of 2006. I'd come home for a couple months in that summer, and this is when I was owning the bar in Granada, Spain. My liver desperately needed a break. So while home, I was living with my parents, and I was able to get my old job back at a place called the Gore Range Brewery where I was waiting tables. Now, I'd been there for about two weeks, and I met a really cool guy named Adrian who just moved to Edwards uh, from Florida. Now, Adrian is originally from Bucharest, uh, but I think he'd been in the United States for a couple of years, and he had a family friend in Edwards, Colorado. So he moved there, and he got a job waiting tables as well at the Gorange Brewery. So one night I'm working. Adrian shows up and says, hey, after your shift, come meet me at this bar. So close up, finish the shift, go meet Adrian and a couple other friends at this bar. There I had two micro brews. There are 16 ounces each, anywhere from 5.5% to 6% alcohol content um, with Adrian and a couple other friends. After that, Adrian and I decided to go to his house to watch a movie. Now earlier that day, Adrian had purchased a used but semi-new white Toyota Celica with a sweet spoiler. Well, like early 2000s sweet. And as we leave the parking lot, apparently he wants to test how fast this car is, so he peels out. And I'm like, whoa, dude, I'm not sure what it's like in Bucharest, but I'm not playing that game, especially after I've had a couple of beers. So I'm following him in my car, and I'm flashing my lights saying, hey, buddy, let's slow it down a bit. He gets to the end of the parking lot, and he waits for me to catch up. We turn onto the main road, and same thing. I'm like, man, somebody likes NASCAR. He is testing limits on this white Toyota Celica. And same thing, I'm flashing my lights. I'm like, no way, I'm not doing this. So we get up to the entrance of the neighborhood where we both live in, and there's about a quarter mile stretch before a stop sign. And I'm right behind him, and then he just pins it again. Um, and he's flying. He's probably up to like 50 to 60, maybe 75 miles an hour. I don't know. He's a quarter mile ahead of me. And, and then I realized I'm like, whoa, I think there was a stop sign up there. And I'm pretty sure he just blew right through it. Um, but again, I'm not going to see how fast my car can go at, uh, at 11 PM at night after having a couple beers. So I proceed down the road. And what I find is a white Toyota Celica upside down. I'm like, holy shit. I park my car, quickly get out, run up to the car. I see headlights pointed in all strange directions. And I hear the scientist by Coldplay playing at full blast. I don't know how this was possible because he had a CD player. So there is no moon in the sky. It is pitch black. Now, I quickly remembered the cell phone that I had just purchased a few days prior came with a flashlight feature. Now, that's a common feature on every phone, but back then, that was a cool feature. So I pull it out, turn on the flashlight, which was more like a soft glow, and I peered inside the car. Adrian was nowhere to be found. Now, has anyone seen the music video of The Scientist by Coldplay? In the music video, someone gets ejected out of the car. I kid you not. This is a true story. So I can't find Adrian. I've got my cell phone out. There's a soft glow. I'm walking through the weeds, the grass that are about waist high, and I'm looking for my friend Adrian. I see there's a tree knocked down that his car went through. There's some shrubs. There's some smaller trees that he could be in. And while I'm looking for Adrian, I can see the freeway. And there's two police officers flying down the freeway to get to the scene. Somebody who lived in the neighborhood must have seen it call the cops. I was able to see the police coming probably two or three minutes before they arrived. The thought of leaving the scene because I had been drinking did arrive in my mind, but I knew I had to stay. So I continue to look for Adrian, and right when the cops show up, I find Adrian's body. He's laying sideways in the weeds. The police quickly run up. I'm like, hey guys, here he is right here. A police officer pulls me aside, and he asks me the question. He's like, have you been drinking? I say, no. 
He's like, okay, time for a roadside sobriety test. And so here I am. I'm on the side of a road bombing this roadside sobriety test, not because I'm drunk, but because of what's going on. And so he asks me to recite the ABCs backward. And right about the time I go, L-M-N-O-P, fuck, the other cop yells back a code. Something like, hey, Dan, we got a 612 over here. Now, that wasn't the exact code, but whatever it was meant that we have a deceased person. As in, Adrian was ejected from his car and did not survive. Now, at this moment, the police officer looks at me. He looks back at the body and then looks back at me and says, was this your friend? I said, yes, it was. He looks at me in the eyes and says, get out of here. Go home. So I went back to my house. I went right to the closet and took a huge drink of scotch. I woke my dad up and then we went to the house where Adrian was staying and alerted the family friend that Adrian had passed away. We later found out that Adrian had a BAC level of 0.33. Holy shit, Romanians can drink. I had no idea. Even when we were at the bar, I had no clue that Adrian was that tuned up. So I didn't get a DUI that night. I probably should have, but I didn't. So this event with Adrian was in 2006. Looking back, clearly I had a drinking problem at the time. But here's what I told myself. I don't have a drinking problem because I don't have any DUIs. This whole event for me was a huge wake-up call that I missed. In fact, I went to work the next morning, and the manager of the restaurant was like, Dude, Paul, are are you going to be okay? Do you need the day off? I just witnessed someone else's true rock-bottom moment, and I couldn't connect the dots at the time. You've heard me say on this podcast, the only line we can cross but cannot come back from is death. And I saw this firsthand. I told this story to some friends the other day, and they asked if I had podcasted about it. I said no. And they said, you know, you should think about it because that's powerful. You need to share that story. So Adrian, I missed it at the time as a clear cue that I needed to quit drinking, but now I see it for what it was. This story of the line you crossed that you didn't come back from has powerful healing potential for others who are still fighting. Hopefully your story can save a life of someone who is listening to this podcast. Who knows? Maybe it was coincidence that the guy who was first on the scene would later go on to start a recovery podcast that we downloaded a handful of million times. Maybe it was coincidence. Maybe it wasn't. So I'm trying to think of a way to go from that story to our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Can't really think of a good way to do it, so I'll just say it. Now let's hear from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. At ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator, E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R, ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Tiffany, how are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Tiffany, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for asking. And listeners, most of these are done just audio. Occasionally, we do Skype to Skype. I can see the interviewee. I've got Tiffany, and I've got a beautiful, giant Great Dane behind Tiffany named Aos, and she has warned me there might be some barks in the interview, but you know, just like recovery life, it all happens. So if you hear Aos barking, hey, that's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah, let's get right into this, Tiffany. How long have you been sober? Well, it's 345 days today. I can't believe it. So my sobriety date is July 15th. 2018. We are coming up on one year, Tiffany. Two questions. How does it feel? 
And I don't want to count chickens before we hatch, but tell me you've got something planned to celebrate that date. Um, I do, actually. Two of my best friends um, have been sober for much longer than me. I was late to join the party. So they're going to take me to get my one-year chip, and we're going to have dinner, and it's going to be great. Man, how does it feel? Oh, God. You know, honestly, uh, so yesterday I was walking in Gettysburg, and I live really like 20 minutes away from there. And I had the first moment where I could just sit and smile because it's just everything feels so good. I can't explain it. Like it was like genuine presence in the moment, like joy. And it's it's been it's been a tough year, but it's been amazing. Yeah, but I'm so glad you got to experience that feeling. So good days, bad days, we all have them, right? And I think there's this misconception that sobriety will be all good days, a life without alcohol. And in fact, for anybody, normal drinkers, people who struggle with alcohol, there is no such thing as all good days because by definition, you actually have to have the bad days to determine what a good day is. But on this journey, and there, there, there are more and more of them, and I'm so glad you experienced them, I've had some just incredibly good days. And here's the thing, Tiffany, and I think you can resonate with this, is good days aren't defined by external experiences. They aren't experience-based. It's not like, wow, I went to Magic Mountain, I did the log ride today, and then I went to this museum and that museum. Sometimes these good days, they start from within. It's like there's this bloom that happens when you wake up, and it's all internal. It's just peace. Is that something that you're experiencing as well, more and more of those days? Oh, absolutely. This time a year ago, I was really attempting my first round sober and I just was on the fence and still not convinced. And, you know, all of those horrible things we go through. And it, today is just so much different than a year ago. It's it's night and day. I, yeah. I don't I want to go back. <laughs> Ooh, we will get up to speed to, to this time a year ago. And yeah. I, and listeners, Tiffany's part of Cafe RE. She did a member spotlight. And so I heard her story before I heard her share it. I was like, we got to get you on the podcast. And we'll talk about what life was like a year ago, which was close <laughs> to when you quit drinking. Um, but before we do that, give listeners some background about yourself, where you're from, your age. Do you have a family, what you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, so originally I'm from Connecticut, but I've been in Maryland for about 10 years now, off and on. I am a property manager. I'm also a licensed captain. So I got my captain's license in 2009. I'm 35 years old. I don't have any kids. I'm not married. I just have Aos and a fat cat named Ollie. <laughs> and for fun, hiking has always been what centers me historically through my life. But for um, I kind of stopped doing those sorts of things. So I'm learning that I like to do macrame, which is something that I've actually really been doing a lot of. Um, and any sort of DIY crafts or projects around my house has is, is been really filling me with a lot of joy lately. Two things. I'm a licensed kickball captain. I'm, I'm on a kickball team <laughs> called Denim Venom. We play it all denim. I've got a denim vest that has denim venom embroidered on the back. We have a league title to defend this year. And number two, what is macrame? Is it a craft thing? Um so, oh, I don't even have any. Um, so macrame is basically a series of knots. So do you, I don't know, did, were you ever in the whole hemp necklace phase in high school? I don't know. I, I had a, you know I had a ton of seashell necklaces, but I never, <laughs> I'm kidding you yeah, on that yeah, either. Right, I never got yeah. into the hemp necklace phase yet. So Let's put it yet. That, so the knots that hold the seashells is macrame, Whoa, but you just make the, it into bigger. The knots that hold the seashells are macrame. It's like the best way to describe it. So like, I don't know, like growing up, your mom would have had like a knotted plant hanger or a grandmother, maybe like it's just a really old form of, of making knots in a way that you can make it functional or okay, this is all coming together. Listeners, <laughs> I can see a tattoo of an anchor on Tiffany. You're you, you, you've, you've had a nautical background. Of course, you have an interest in knots. Yes. <laughs> all right. OK, I'm piecing this together. I love doing this podcast macrame. Just learned <laughs> something awesome. I might have a deep affinity for knots that I just haven't uncovered yet. But hey, with alcohol, <laughs> got the time. So, so Tiffany, yeah. give listeners background about your drinking. Get us up to speed. Talk about when you started your drinking habits. Did you ever moderate? And when did you realize that alcohol probably needed to go? Yeah, yeah. So... I started drinking when I was in seventh grade and growing up my household, we didn't keep alcohol in the house. My, my parents barely drank. My dad, I can count on one hand the, the, the 
actually on one finger how many times I saw him actually finish even a beer. He just it just wasn't part of our family. It wasn't normal to be drinking. You know, I, the, the grandparents had wine and everyone else had wine on special occasions, but it just wasn't the norm. So when I got into junior high school, I really started to find out what other families were like. And there was a lot of alcohol, I realized. Like ever, like moms were always sitting, coming home to wine and dads had their vodka with their limes. So that became, as I got you know, into older grades and started being able to stay at friends, that kind of started to be something I observed. And I saw, you know, that was, that was the norm. That's what these professional parents were doing. They all had their martinis and whatever. So I started really hanging out with these kids. And I really, like, at a very young age, I really got into the party scene. You know, junior high school and high school, it was a lot of binge drinking on weekends. My friends, we would all go in and find that like one 18 year old that could, that had the older friend who could get us alcohol. And we'd go in on like a handle of some rum or whatever, you know, so it was just it was a lot of like what we thought was normal, you know, like I thought it was normal to binge drink on the weekends and then go to school during a week. And I thought it was normal to go to your friend's house and steal vodka from her stepdad's vodka bottle and like add water because no one can tell that it's you know condensing inside the vodka bottle. <laughs> And, you know, that was just normal. We just, that's what we did. And, you know, slowly I kind of developed out of that kind of partying phase. I got a job on a horse farm and that really became like my main focus for a while was just, was doing that. And then as I started getting into later years in high school, I, I realized that I just like actual school wasn't for me. And I wanted to either be at work or, or with my friends partying. So those became my priorities and school was definitely bottom of the totem pole. Lots of partying, you know, weekends. But like I said, I mean, I maintain work. I maintain just good enough grades to kind of skate by. Photography was like my number one class. I always had A's, so that like kept me from totally failing. <laughs> and that was pretty much it, you know. I, I was a big pothead in high school. and But I felt like with alcohol, I could always kind of like take it or leave it. And it didn't, it didn't really matter. I never really had at that point that like, oh, I need to drink that constant drive. I was much much more okay just kind of using it as a binge tool, if you will. And Tiffany, when did you reach the moment where you couldn't take it or leave it? Yeah, so that's a good question. In 2006, when I was 21, I had like what I call my pre-midlife crisis. And I left everything behind, my my high school sweetheart, my job, everything that I thought was normal. And I moved to New Zealand to work on a schooner. It was kind that's of... That's a boat, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a a big boat. This one had three masts, lots of sails. How many um, I, knots? <laughs> uh, the fastest we went was 11 knots. <laughs> no, how many knots like held all the sails together, I guess? <laughs> oh, God. Knots has multiple meanings in the nautical world, apparently. A lot, a lot. I mean, I can't even remember. They they, just put it this way. Picture the big pirate ship that you saw in Pirates of the Caribbean. That's what I was on. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so got onto the boat and that's when the switch really happened in a weird way I didn't really expect. So I said earlier that I always thought that wine was like for the elite and it was like a special occasion. So, but when I got to New Zealand, wine was just everywhere. I could go into the grocery store and buy a bottle of wine for like four or $5 and it had like a screw top <laughs> lid. So I could just like, you know, as I'm walking back to the boat, just like unscrew the top and like chug it from the bag, you know? And, and, and that's when like the shift happened from drinking just being like something you binge and you regretted to like a reward. Like I had a really hard work day and I'm going to have this drink and like, and I can, you know, it was just, it was, it was just a very strange world for me to be in. And it was kind of like going back to high school and I saw these parents, like that was the norm to like come home and have cocktails and like have dinner with your kids. And like, that was normal. Yeah. With Tiffany, I love putting dates on this, putting in chronological order at 21, the shift happened. You got yeah. sober, I believe, imagine at 34. So that is 13 years, or almost 14 years, where the shift mm -hmm. happened for I could take it or leave it till, uh-oh, I, I can't take it or leave it. There's mm -hmm. 13 years there. Yeah, talk to us about that time frame. So when I was on the boat, we went through a really bad hurricane during a voyage. And that's when my drinking shifted from something you do to a reward to I need to get out of my head. Now, I don't really like to tell the story, but we got into a hurricane. It was it was really terrifying. And I came home from that just different. I'm still working through that. But that's a story I'll tell for another day. Well, it was, it was so, traumatizing. It was very traumatizing. Of course, yeah. yeah, you almost died out it, there. 
We did. Yeah, we did. Eleven of us. And, um, you know, and now I'm a licensed captain and now I can look back and I see where the mistakes were made and I know what I would do different. But at the time, I'd never even been on a boat other than whale watching. So to me, I didn't I didn't know how to fix the situation, you know. So I, I vowed never to let that happen again. Hence why I became a captain. So when that when I came home from that, I wanted to get out of my head. That's when I really started to feel those feels or not, I should say, not want to feel those feels. Yeah. And I started really to just drink. And that's when I started to isolate. Before drinking for me was social. It was you were with friends, you were with groups of people, you were, you know, a group of people winding down after a long day. But when I came home from that trip, I just wanted to be alone. I, I didn't I didn't want to be around people. I wanted to just kind of hide from everything. And, you know, slowly, you know, I still made progress with my life. I was, I, I moved to New Zealand, uh, not New Zealand. I moved to Baltimore, big difference. I moved to Baltimore in 2007. When I got to Baltimore, the one thing that was the most interesting to me was that they were selling this one neighborhood for me to live in. And the reasoning was because, oh, well, there's 126 bars in a six block radius. It's a perfect place for you to be. Like they were like selling it to me, like real estate agents, you know, like, this is hot, like hip and hop, like where everything's happening. And like, it was just crazy to me. But anyway, it sold me, you know, so I was all excited. I'm in Baltimore. And now I can be this like, raging alcoholic, and nobody cares. Because honestly, like where I was in Baltimore, and not to like throw out a neighborhood, but like Fells Point's a really hop in an area, there's a ton of bars, the nightlife's great, there's tons of stuff to do during the day with the water taxi. So it's a really, really cool neighborhood. And so it was, it was fun, you know, and there was a lot of times when it was just, you know, waking up, being hungover, going to that first bar, taking a shot with a couple of friends, going to work for the day, like that was normal. Everyone was doing it. You know, I was working at a marina during the day, working at a restaurant at night. My drinking just kept get going and going, but it just was normal. I was isolating myself still, but not so bad because I felt like I kind of found my people and I didn't need to really hide anymore. So I kind of like hid in this group, and if, if that makes sense. Yeah, when, Tiffany makes total sense. We justify it. We say, well, my friends are drinking this much. I'm in Fell's Point. My real estate agent made this a, a prominent selling point. If I'm having a good time. I'm in my 20s. Of, yeah. course, yeah, of course, it makes sense. And, yeah. and so talk to us about the progression. It sounds like you're isolating more and more. Um, and, and Tiffany, it's awesome. You've got almost a year of, of time without alcohol. I, I really want to focus on that. And so if you could get us up to speed on, on the closer to your sobriety date, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Paul. So getting up to between, all right, so now we're at like 2009, 2010. Between 2010 and like 2012, not a lot really happened. My drinking just kind of stayed isolating. In 2014, I got into a relationship. It didn't work out, but that was the first time that I'd ever heard myself referred to as an alcoholic. I was ending a relationship and I heard him on the phone with his dad and he said, part of the reason I'm leaving Tiffany is because she's an alcoholic. And I was in my kitchen and I don't think he could hear it. And I, and I went, what? You know, like, what? Yeah. Well, okay. Hang on. <laughs> Were you, what, what did you feel like? Was it like, oh my gosh, this is a new piece of information for me. Or was it like the gig is up or I've been exposed? What was it like? It was that I had been exposed. I felt embarrassed for the first time. Like, I mean, I had had a lot of nights I regretted, but like, I felt embarrassed. Sure. So you kind of knew at that moment, this is 2014. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I was like, okay, all right. You sure. know, like you said, and, and other people up, are like, starting to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, you know, then I, instead of leaning into that, I leaned into my isolation. And I just, I let all the negative self-talk that I had in my head beat me down to the point where in 2017, so like, I mean, just three years of torture, Paul, like crying because I didn't want to drink, drinking because it was all I knew. And finally, in 2017, I was like, just bashing my head against a wall going, something has got to give. I had gotten so depressed and so isolated in my personal life that I was afraid to leave my house unless it was for work. I had stopped walking my dog, which I mean, it, when you have a dog as big as mine is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. um, I would be afraid to be outside. And the only thing that like was my norm was I would get ready and I would go to work and wor like at work, I was a superstar. Like I work long hours. I never said no, whatever the deadline was, I got it done. Like I was so focused on being successful there because I didn't feel successful in any other part of my life, especially in my ability to control my drinking. And that's what I felt like I was failing at. Like I was like, I'm failing. I can't control this anymore. 
Tiffany, so, let's let's drill down into something you said earlier, which it's yeah. it's a shitty moment to get at. And I love your authenticity. And and there's a there's a brighter end to this, guys. I've seen I've seen Tiffany <laughs> firsthand. She's kicking ass in in this this sober world. But you mentioned earlier. You reached a point, correct me if I don't phrase this right, where like all you knew, like you knew you, you didn't want to drink, but all you knew was a life that involved drinking. Can mm-hmm. you drill down a little bit deeper in that and talk to us how that felt? Yeah. You know, I, you hear it a lot on the podcast. It, it was insanity. You know, it was just this never ending cycle where, okay, just a snapshot of a day for me that was what I thought was normal. I'd wake up in the morning, hungover, dehydrated, felt like hell would get myself together on my way to work, I would cry. I would cry the whole way to work because I didn't want to go home because I didn't want to drink that night. It doesn't get any more raw than that. And I would work my whole day with this anxiety the whole day where, you know, I, I'm a Gemini. So I feel like I always have two twins battling. And I, I said to myself, it's like I have my good twin going, Tiffany, you got this. You're not going to drink today. You're going to go home. You're going to be productive. You're going to take your dog for that walk. It's okay. You'll be fine. And then the other part of me is just like this other evil twin. Like you don't got this. You want to drink. What's the point? You know, you're crap. You suck. You're ugly. No one likes you. Like, I mean, just the worst self-talk. And like, that was like a normal day and it, it never got any better. The anxiety was always so crippling and it just i mean like i said it was like a three years paul i let myself live like that you know now i can look back and i'm like geez girl like you didn't have to fight that long you know like you could have come out of this at any freaking time and you didn't yeah tiffany i say three you're like three years that's such a long time but i i went at it for three years and longer and you did come out of it what tipped the scales So I started really trying to get sober. Like I would be like, all right, I'm absolutely not drinking today. And the only way I could maintain that was to like make myself so busy. I really couldn't like I didn't have time. And then the next thing I know, I had to go to bed. But what really tipped the scale for me was actually finding your uh, your podcast. I yeah, yeah. So November 2017, I was like at my bottom, like in that horrible cycle of just crying every day. I was in a bad situation anyway with with a relationship ending. And it just I was just like I was so emotionally down. I couldn't get any downer. Let's put it that way. And so I was driving to work. I do a ton of driving for my job and I was driving to work and I I had done like a recent update on my phone and it it reloaded the podcast thing on my phone because I didn't even know about podcasts. Like I just, it wasn't a thing for me. I don't listen to the news or anything. So the podcast thing popped up and I was like, hmm, what's that? And then it was like, you know, search for keywords. And so I put in alcoholic and your podcast was the first one that came up. And I I hit play. And honestly, I think I binge listened to your podcast for like a solid two weeks. Like I didn't, it was, I didn't even watch TV. It was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was all day at work. I binge, I think the first episode I heard was like episode eight and I went all the way up to 150 as quickly as I could. <laughs> all right. Let and, me, let me just say a couple things here. And, and it's you guys, the listener and the interviewees that make recovery elevator what it is, but here's the power of what you listen to the body and maybe there's some synergies. You got a new update on your phone. You saw the podcast and your body was like, your body told your thumbs to type in alcoholic. Of course, the you know, a person doesn't want to associate with the word alcoholic. But you just typed it in to the iTunes search bar, found a podcast. And here we are mm-hmm. almost two years later, you're freaking on that <laughs> podcast. Did you ever think that would happen? No, no, it's absolutely crazy. How cool is that? That's incredible. <laughs> it's- yeah, it's it's honestly it's a blessing. There's no other way to say it, you know. It's just this finding finding not only this podcast but the the thought process that you can you can like you can do this, you know? Like I know that there's programs out there that work for people. There's a lot of great 12-step programs. Those don't work for me. I don't like sitting in a room and talking about my problems. It's it's just never it's never been a place for me. But this hearing people's struggles, not feeling alone, and then having a resource to reach out to on a a minute by minute basis has been, I mean, like, I'm not trying to like sell it, but obviously I'm trying to sell it. Like it has been integral to my, to my recovery. I would have not have gotten sober when I did, if it wasn't for finding this podcast when I did and signing up when I did and everything that happened. 
it just wouldn't have happened. Not it would have happened eventually, but I feel like I I would have had a DUI, God forbid, kill someone or kill myself. You know, it 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 would have gone on for years and years and years. Tiffany, I agree with you. It would have happened eventually. Your intention had been heard, has been heard by the universe, and mm -hmm. once. That intention is heard. The external circumstances are going to start to show up to help you quit drinking. And for some, it can be extremely uncomfortable with DUIs, jail sentences, loss of job, et cetera. Sometimes it's, hey, let's update your phone. Let's get the new podcast app. And then you're just going to go with it. Put an, al put an alcoholic in the search bar. That is so awesome. So that was November of 2017. Get us up to speed from November 2017 to July 2018. So June 2018 was when I had my final like, all right, that's it. Like I'm doing this. And I signed up for uh, the recovery elevator through the Facebook page and immediately dove in. And I had like, I was like a planned relapse. Like, I'm just going to be totally honest with you. When I <laughs> totally up, fine. We've all had <laughs> like when I signed up, I was like, I, in exactly 30 days from tomorrow. So the day after I signed up, I'm, it's going to be the first day on my vacation. And if I can make it there. I, it means I can drink normally. Like that was my thought process. <laughs> sure. We've, we've heard equally <laughs> insane thought process on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like, all right, I got this. So I did June sober and I had this whole like, oh, look at me. Like, you know, I finished June and then I was like, wow. And then I'm like getting into July and I was like, sweet. Like I'm still sober. I got to 30 days. I was like, see, I got this. And then day 31, I woke up, I left the campground. I was camping in South Carolina at like one of the most beautiful places, by the way. If you ever get the chance to go to Lake Norman, I highly recommend it. But And I just went straight to the grocery store and just bought five, five bottles of wine. Talk to <laughs> us about the three most dangerous words. I feel like there needs to be a sound effect. I, I push the button like, dun, dun, dun. I got I this. Got Talk it. to us about that. <laughs> oh, I got it. You know, I just, I let, I let it. I let the lies come through. I, I let, I believe the lies again. I, I believed all those things that alcohol told me and promised me. And I was like, oh, you're right. You know, like I did my 30 days. Let's do this again because, you know, 17 years of insanity wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but like those 30 days, they yeah. weren't wasted. All right. Like, and I've, I've said it, oh, I got this. There's no way I can have a drinking problem because those people who do have drinking problems don't go 30 days without alcohol. Yeah, cue life. But what, what were the, some of the lessons you did learn while going 30 days away from alcohol? Because that's tremendous progress. You probably surprised yourself because you hadn't gone that far any time before. No, no. That was the longest I had been sober since I was 14. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was, um, that was good. I, um, let's see, how did I feel? I felt good. I still, you know, I just was in a really big haze. I felt like I was in this like mute haze, but I felt like it was actually like good. It was almost like my body had shut down certain parts so it could heal, if that makes sense, which I've later learned, I believe that I almost like immediately went into pause sy symptoms. Mm -hmm. And and for those who don't know, it's post-acute withdrawal syndrome. But, the, you know, I feel like I immediately kind of jumped into those. And so after the 30 days, I drank for five days. And this is like the this is when everything made sense was I went, you know what? day three of drinking, I was like, this sucks. Like, this is, this is the worst. Those 30 days, I, 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 at this point I was saying like, those 30 days were the happiest I've been in a long time. The most clear headed, the most present I have been in a long time. I got so much stuff done. It was ridiculous. I finished all these classes I had signed up for, like, you know, and most of it was just to fill the space. But then I realized, you know, and your app has it on it, the, the, the tracker, you know, you realize how many hours you're wasting every day. And I looked at the two and I went, you know what? Those 30 days were better than these three days, let alone the last 17 years of my life. And, you know, what, what do I do? And I went, well, you've got a lot of alcohol in the house, so get drinking. And I, I just committed to drinking everything in my house. And that was it. And when it was gone, it was gone. Well, I drank everything in my house and I woke up with the worst hangover in the world and everything started from there on July 15th. And that was it. And now I'm here on the podcast. <laughs> that is a concept that I haven't explored deeply on, on this podcast. It's called conscious drinking. It's when we fully know that alcohol has been ruined. There is no going back because I've done this before. I've got alcohol left in the house. I'm like, I'm going to give myself the worst fucking hangover and <laughs> give me, you know, 72 straight hours of why I no longer want to quit drinking. Yeah. And I've, I've drank all the alcohol just, just for purposely <laughs> having like the worst hangover. That's crazy. <laughs>
So what was it like after those five days? Was it, did you say like, were you, was it like renewed vigor? Was it difficult? Did you get 30 days just as, I don't say easily as the time before? Was it different that time? It was definitely different because this time I was, I, I knew I was in it. I knew I wanted it. I knew that it was, it was right for me. Um, I was making connections pre, like pretty much immediately in the group, had found people that were in my area that I could meet up and go hiking with. And, you know, I just, I, I kind of, I used it to go all, I went all in. There's really no other, I went all in. And I don't know if it was, you know, the day three when I was doing the comparison or if it was just, you know, that famous line, just being sick and tired, being sick and tired. You know, and I I just, I just was like, I'm done. I I don't want to feel like this anymore. I don't want to be sad anymore. I don't want to be isolated or hide anymore. I just, I just want to freaking live, you know, like it's that simple. So you mentioned going all in, and this is a liberating feeling once we're fully committed all in. But has there been in the last year a moment where you want to be all out? Because this is, this is kind of scary because you deep down, you're conscious. Right now, your conscious and the unconscious mind, they're operating in tandem. They're both on the same page that alcohol is not going to be part of the future. But at times, you're entering, oh gosh, I'm surprised you haven't said this with your being a captain. You're, you're entering uncharted waters right now. And at times... <laughs> This can be scary, right? The like, even like the unconscious would be like, all right, Paul, I'll give you 30 days. I'll give you 60 months. Wait a second. We're at a year. We're at a year and a half. We're still doing this. Has there been at times where the unknown, these uncharted waters have been scary? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely been, you know, um, they, they say that you're tested with as much as you can handle. And sometimes I have moments where I go, I, I, I don't got this, you know, like, no, I can't handle this. You know, I, I please stop. I, you know, don't give me any more. Well, what are um, some of those that you've encountered without drinking? Yeah. You know, I mean, I ended, uh, you know, I, I thought I could date again and I got really attached and I ended another relationship and that, you know, that, that I didn't drink over that. And to be honest with you, that's the first time that I didn't mute or numb I didn't reach for something. I have this this never-ending need to not feel like how I feel at my natural state, even if it's like I'm not awake enough, so I need Red Bull. Like I just I don't like me at face value, and so I really leaned into that, and and I've been leaning into to myself at face value really hard when things get hard, and that's really different. I feel like that's the difference because before when I wasn't totally serious about being sober. I would, it was like, you would test it, you know, like, I think I'm going to try this and I think it's going to work. But now it's like, you know what, this sucks and this hurts. And I think it was, I think you posted a picture, maybe this is when the bench thing started, but like you posted a picture of like, you know, you weren't, you weren't really feeling it. So you went and you went to like a top of a mountain or something and you sat and you were, you just made yourself feel the feels. And I, that resonated with me at the time when I needed it to. And it was at a time when I was going through some really hard stuff. And I just learned that when things are hard, you just have to breathe through it and sit through it. And even if it's you take three breaths 5,000 times to get through it, you know, you just you just got to feel the feels. Tiffany, you got a head start on this one. <laughs> You're way ahead of the game because I do remember that post. And it was, I think, you know, year three or four in my journey where, you know, even in the couple, first couple of years of sobriety, Tiffany, like you said, leaning into that, facing it still wasn't an option, right? It was like, let's go for a run. Let's go for a long hike. Let's sign up for a marathon or you know, like a, a long run, a race. Let's start smoking cigarettes. Let's explore chewing tobacco. Let's do <laughs> nine cups of coffee in a day. But yeah. Um, yeah, I remember just sitting on that post. It's like or that bench. It's like, this is it. I'm going to try something different, saddle up and be with it. And mm-hmm. Gosh, that's a huge value bomb for listeners that you dropped. You're you're <laughs> leaning into that. And what has the result been? Joy, you know, a lot of joy. You know, I always looked and envied my dog because she was always so present and just always so happy. And I'm like, of all the things to envy my dog, I think is like goofy. But, you know, I just I feel happy. You know, you hear this a lot, but I used to have, like I said, such bad anxiety that I was afraid to leave my house. Like I was afraid to walk my dog. And now I just feel free. I, I have my anxiety when even when it does get bad, it's usually stress induced and I can I can pick up on that. And it's usually always work. <laughs> you know, I just my anxiety is almost gone. My depression. I thought that I was like clinically depressed, doomed for life to just be this sad entity that floated on the earth. Not the case at all. I, I realize I'm not a depressed person. Like I'm a really happy person and I laugh a lot. And you know, it's just, I'm like, dis- I'm learning who I am. And it's so funny because, you know, that's what you do when you're like 
14, 15, but that's when I started drinking. And I feel like when I started drinking, I stopped living. And it's, 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 I'm sad that I, I, I lost that much time, but I am so happy that I'm still young and I'm only 35 and that I can, I can make the change now. And, you know, I said earlier, like, I don't have kids or a family and I am hands to God so grateful for that because I would have, I would have never wanted to have to drag kids or a husband or anything through what I have just been through. And now I can like start fresh and I just, I'm so like, I just get, I'm excited. Well, like life is great and it's getting better. It's true. (laughs) So alcohol addiction is a matter of life and death. And we're familiar with what can happen with on the death component, but more important, it's a matter of not living. We're not living life to our fullest being present. And and I'm loving how you said that. Um, And it sounds like you got sober outside of AA. You're telling me that's a possibility. You know, it is, you know, I I wish that it worked for me because I know like my, my very close friends use it and it's great and they have amazing groups of people. It's just, for me, it's just not a format that I, I thrive in. I've never been a sit in a room kind of person. My higher power is being outside. I always joke and say my higher power is running because it's the only time when I really feel like I'm working through stuff. I'm, I'm talking to someone, I'm, I'm feeling the feels, you know, I'm, I'm negotiating. All right. If, if you give me this, I'll give you that. <laughs> you know. So when I need to get out and feel recover, like feel like I'm part of recovery, like I'll log in and use the group, you know, I'll go out and hang out with friends. I'll take my dog to Gettysburg or I'll go for a run somewhere by myself. I just, I, I find my peace and I find my healing is the most effective when I'm out because I know that I need to talk to people and I need to really dive into some really deep things that I have in me. I I did start talk therapy and that has been a huge help. And, um, through actually one of the members in the group, she helped me find a counselor that's familiar with addiction and anxiety and all the things that I have and PTSD. So it's been a really awesome help with my recovery, especially because she knows I'm sober and she knows what my goals are. And we talk about those very often. So my therapist has definitely been a huge help for me. But yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to knock any sort of 12 step programs. I think they're fantastic. I love what they do and they help so many people, but it's just, it doesn't, it's not for me right now on my journey. It may one day be, but just not right now. Totally fine. There's so many ways to do this. And so in November 2017, you listen to a podcast. Today is yeah. June 25th, 2019. You're on that podcast. So <laughs> anything is possible in a life without alcohol. What's on your bucket list? Ooh, my bucket list. You know, I what? I, I, Asia now, thank you for putting that together. The Asia trip is definitely being added. I would love to spend time with elephants, but no, you know what? Honestly, Paul, my bucket list is I just want to be happy. I want to do things that make me happy. I haven't really set any like major travel goals or, um, you know, goals like that. It's just, I'm, I promised myself that in 2019, I would eliminate everything that didn't make me happy and bring me joy. And that has been down to everything from flavors of ice cream. (laughs) That's like one of the best new year's goals I've ever heard. You know, it's just been my goal. So I've gotten rid of the ice cream flavors. I don't like Tootsie Pops because I'm addicted to Tootsie Pops. Wait, 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 wait. What's the ice cream flavor you've gotten rid of? Um, well, obviously plain vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's vanilla. And that's, uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm biased. But... I'm, <laughs> I'm No, I have a huge thing for vanilla, but it has to have Oreos involved. So I, I only get Oreo blizzards. Okay. That's, What's that's... your favorite flavor of ice cream then? Ooh, um, it's simple. Just cookie dough. That's my favorite. I love the cookie dough pieces. Yeah, I knew there was a reason we got you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tiffany, we have reached the rapid fire round. And answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds. Are you ready? Yeah. Number one, worst memory from drinking. Oh, God. Worst memory from drinking was actually my 18th birthday. I got so drunk, uh, I fell down the side of a, a mountain on my way down and got down to my car. I was too drunk to drive. So my friends drove me to my house. I still live with my parents, of course. Left me propped out of my passenger side door with a seatbelt. Called my house thinking my sister answered, but it was my mother. And said, hey, you might want to go outside and get Tiffany because you don't want your parents to find her the way she is right now. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and then came mom. <laughs> and when was the moment you knew you needed to quit drinking? Oh, 
You know, that's kind of a toss up between when I heard my ex say that I was an alcoholic and when I started listening to this podcast. You know, it was, I think it was, that was the, the beginning of it, but really listening to this podcast and going, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. And Tiffany, what's your plan moving forward? Uh, you know, really, honestly, Paul, it's to focus on on keeping connection and staying uh, staying. Uh, not positive, but staying social. You know, I'm I'm a big introvert, um, and so it, I'm making the point to go out, meet new people, sign up for volunteer opportunities, and just keep networking. That's really my goal. And I feel like building a community is going to help me stay sober, especially because as I reach out, I am finding a sober community is actually really easy to find. And we may have answered the next question. What's your favorite resource in recovery? Uh, definitely Recovery Elevator and the Cafe RE group. W you know, without, uh, I could give you an easy list of five people in that group, just all right off the top of my head. Without those first five that were there for me when I signed up, I I don't know where I, I, I would be here, I think, maybe not on the, on the podcast, but. I would still be struggling if, if they didn't immediately reach out and we didn't all grab each other. This this has been an amazing resource for me. Absolutely. Hands down. Thank you so much for being part of it, Tiffany. Much appreciated. And in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Um, you know, it's it goes back to the feeling, the feels. That it's okay. It's okay not to have a perfect day. Each day is a gift. You know, it sounds a little hippy-dippy, but it's true. You know, it's just, it's okay. <laughs> and what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? You know, honestly, if you think you have a problem, you probably do. And that is completely okay. You know, help is everywhere. There are countless options for you in recovery. You know, I recommend you start by filling your head with information, podcasts, find a person you can talk to about your goals on this journey. Just don't, don't give up another day. It's just not worth it. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might have a drinking problem if line. <laughs> you might have a drinking problem if... At the age of 15, you realize that if you only take shots, you don't feel full, so you can drink more. <laughs> <laughs> we are so intelligent. <laughs> I mean, wait, me lying will say it like that. Um, we're just sneaky. We figure out ways to work the system. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. So we're going to close this episode out with a quote from China Sharma, which is, Remember, you can't reach what's in front of you until you let go of what's behind you. It's like me saying, yo, Tom, check it out. I just got you a whole new set of beliefs, healthy coping mechanisms, a connected heart and soul, and a Ralph Lauren t-shirt. Yeah, let's go with that. Tom, here you go, man. Take it. Um, what's in the bag that you're holding on with a death grip with both hands? And Tom's like, well, I'm holding on to my life up until this moment. I'm like, Tom, you're not even wearing a shirt. You only have a left shoe, and your credit score is toast. Let it go, man. Okay, it's not quite that easy, but y'all get the point. You guys always do. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. <laughs>